0: Howdy, folks. My name is Miss Sinclair, and this is Miss Sinclair's history class. Today, we are going to be starting period two, which will go from 1607 to 1754. Last lecture, we finished up period one, which looks at the pre-Columbian Native American societies and the early European exploration Period two is going to look at the early English settlements. We'll look at the nature of our different colonies, and period three will jump us right into the revolution. Thank you for listening. I really appreciate all of your views and your listens. Remember, if you are listening to this on a podcast or watching the video on YouTube, you are getting the exact same experience that my students got in my class, So this is intended to be a resource for students who might be absent, who might be self-studying the course or teachers who want a refresher before they lecture themselves. If you are thinking, I'm not a student or a teacher, I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm so glad you're here. This is just what the kids are learning in class these days. If anyone's been like, what are the kids learning in class? This is it. Um, If you want just a refresher on US history, I'm glad you're here. Please consider leaving a review or a rating. I know it's the cliche YouTuber or podcaster thing to say, but it really does help. And my goal with this is just to help students. Clearly I am not a polished YouTuber or podcaster. I'm just making this at my house. So enough of me talking, let's jump into the actual content. So like I said, we are looking at topic 2.2. If you are going to jump into this and be like, how can you never do the first topic 1.1, 2.1? Because that's always just like the context for the unit, which we will have just learned about since we have um, just finished the previous unit. So topic 2.2, looking at European colonization. So think back. A little bit of review, see what you can remember. Can you describe three characteristics of Spanish colonization? What were their motivations? What were the results of their colonization? What did they do once they reached the colonies? This is a helpful tool to make sure you are absorbing the information. You are actually learning it. It is so, so easy for the information to go through your ears and out the other side and never stop in your brain. Taking a moment to think about these questions can really actually help you make sure you are learning the information. So three characteristics that I thought of would be their motivations, right? God, gold, glory, this desire for um, an economic uh, prosperity, whether The initial motivation was to find a trade route to the East Indies that avoided the Ottomans. Um, And once they discovered the Americas, the mining that happened there with the silver and gold. Catholicism as a motivating factor to convert the natives. And if you're a conquistador, you can really make your name in the new world. Once they got there, they set the encomienda system, the Colombian exchange, which is absolutely devastating to the indigenous populations of the Americas. So what about everyone else? What about the English? What about the French? What about the Dutch? We're gonna talk about North America today. So our objective you will be able to explain how and why various European colonies developed and expanded between 1607 and 1754. So let's think about the Spanish one more time. The Spanish have set up these haciendas, which are essentially rural estates they became the basis of wealth and power in the new world. And they are going to be entirely self-sufficient. They are going to produce all the goods that they need, clothing, food, meat. And they're going to be powered by this encomienda system, the mita system, which is um, a system of using native labor that the Spanish will have stolen from the Incas. We see this social hierarchy in place in the Spanish colonies with peninsulares at the top. Remember peninsulares are the Spaniards born in Europe, living in the new world. And then the Creoles, the Creoles are white Europeans born in the new world. And then you have your mixed races, mestizos, mulattoes, and at the bottom will be slaves and indigenous peoples. We see that you have enslaved Native Americans who are working in the silver and gold mines. We know that smallpox killed 80 million of them. We know that the Spaniards are bringing in their priests amongst the Franciscans, the Dominicans, the Jesuits, eventually to establish churches and missions. And the Catholic church's influence over the cultural and intellectual life of the Spanish colonies is going to be really enormous. So what about the Spanish colonies in North America? Well, we're going to start in Florida. It makes sense. Florida is the easy access point from the Caribbean where the Spanish first settled. Ponce de Leon is going to be our sort of conquistador for Florida. He will establish a settlement of St. Augustine, um, which is the oldest continuous settlement in the U.S. territory. Settlers hated this area. And I don't know if you've ever been to Florida, but no offense, Florida, you have beautiful beaches. Um, I had my first trip to the Gulf Coast this summer and it was gorgeous. It was also very, very humid. And I was in modern day clothes, shorts and a t-shirt. Imagine if you are in 16th century clothing, multiple layers of sh- clothing and undershirts or petticoats and skirts and add in 90 degree weather and um, mosquitoes and humidity. No, thank you. The um, Spanish would, will end up actually using Franciscans to fortify Florida with missions. They will eventually... Um, stop their sort of northern expansion because they hear about um, just indigenous people so the Carolina natives hear about the spread of diseases and they are going to aggressively fight back against the Spanish colonizers so the Spanish are like you know what we're good like I don't see any gold here it's humid like let's just like not go any further north In the Southwest, you'll see a lot more exploration. Francisco Vesquez de Coronado is going to be our main conquistador for the Southwest. He's going to be searching for the seven cities of Cibola, this idea um, of these seven cities of gold. He does not find them. He does find however, the Grand Canyon. So Coronado is gonna go up from Mexico City across the Sonoran Desert. I'm located here in the Southwest. And let me tell you the idea of crossing the Sonoran desert with metal armor and no maps and insufficient water sounds like a death sentence, but Coronado is going to survive. He is going to go all the way up to the great plains and essentially decide, all right, like this, there's not a lot here for us, right? There's a significant lack of natural resources. The American Southwest is stunningly beautiful. It is also extremely arid, making it very difficult to grow crops without extensive irrigation systems. It is going to um, limit our population density for a long time. So, If you look at a map, which I will describe for my podcast listeners, don't you worry. He will start down in central Mexico, go up the coast of Baja, California. So this is going to be the western coast of Mexico, eventually cutting over into southeastern Arizona to eventually um, his point where he will um, cut east into New Mexico, eventually making his way all the way up to Kansas. The French will look at the Spanish exploration and be like, sounds good, but let's try going north, right? The Spanish started going south and they hit all this land. Maybe if we go north, we can find a route to the East Indies. So China, Southeast Asia, India, Um, well, They're gonna be pretty confident about it when they reach the Gulf of St. Lawrence, but then they run into Canada. So when it comes to the French way of ruling their interactions with the indigenous peoples, the French will be much more similar to the Spanish and the English. So New France will be the French colony in North America and they will set up their capital in Quebec. Jacques Cartier is going to be our first major explorer. He is going to discover the um, Gulf of St. Lawrence in 1541. Then you will have um, Samuel de Champlain. I don't speak French, so I apologize for any of my pronunciations. He will sponsor, he will explore the region sponsored by a French fur trading company. Because what they do discover is beaver pelts. So, so many beaver pelts. And the beaver pelt hat is all the rage in Europe right now. Beaver pelts are very dense and they're oily and it makes sense. Beavers need to be able to swim in and out of very cold water and have their fur repel the water. This makes for really excellent hats because the beaver pelt can repel the rain as well. So the French will start to do a Risk fur trade with the Indigenous peoples there. The um, French relationship with the Indigenous peoples is going to be kind of unique. Like the Spanish, they are going to freely intermarry and intermix with the Indigenous peoples. But unlike the Spanish, they're not so interested in conquering them or even converting them to Catholicism. You will have some Jesuits arrive, and I'll talk about them in a minute. But French fur trappers will really immerse themselves in native culture. They will trade with indigenous peoples for fur and give them guns, textiles, alcohol. This actually will lead to the overhunting of the beaver population because the use of firearms will allow for the indigenous peoples to overhunt the beavers which they then are trading to the Europeans. We see that Louis, the 14th will establish the New France Company and New France um, to try and capitalize on this. But we see that not a lot of people want to settle in Canada. So you have Champlain who will settle in Quebec. Then you have other explorers like um, LaSalle and... He will go down the Mississippi and eventually reach Louisiana, um, settling setting up the city of New Orleans. We see that the indigenous population in New France will always outnumber the French population. And because of that, they will have to have a really good relationship with them. We see that the um, French will intermarry with the indigenous peoples. They will ally with the Huron, whereas we're going to see the British will ally with the Iroquois. Louis XIV tries to bring over more settlers. It just doesn't really work. It's cold. It's, I mean, like at at least the Caribbean and Mexico and South America, it's warm. It's beautiful. You have white sandy beaches. You have tropical birds. You have mangoes. You have all of this fantastic food and atmosphere. And then you get to Canada and it's cold for nine months of the year and there's the snow and you're isolated and you're, it's just a hard sell. It's a hard sell. So the um, cold Canadian colonies are just not going to be very appealing to French colonizers. It also doesn't help that in England, the religious separatists will flee England and end up settling in the colonies. The French will not allow this. So in France, you still have a lot of tension between French Catholics and French Protestants known as the Huguenots. And Louis XIV will not allow the Huguenots to set up society in Canada. He will not let the Huguenots migrate over and they probably would have been happy to (laughs) escape um, persecution. So we see that the French colonies are going to really have a lot more intermarriage with indigenous people. It's going to focus mainly on the fur trade and the French colony in Louisiana will split Spanish exploration, right? It's going to split the Spanish colonies in North America because the colony of Louisiana will um, divide Florida and Texas, which were both controlled by the Spanish. All right. What about, oh, take a moment. Um, I want you to think back. Let's pause, see how much you're absorbing. Compare and contrast the Spanish and the French colonies. What were some of the ways that they were similar and what were some of the ways they are different? A huge similarity would be the intermarriage with the indigenous peoples. A huge difference though would be the lack of oppression in many ways. Let's be clear. It's not like the French were like, ah, you are our equals in all things and equal before the law and equal, like, no, they're still Europeans with their own ethnocentrism. However, you don't see the forced conversions in the same way. French Jesuits learn the indigenous language. You don't see the establishment of a system, a enslavement of indigenous peoples. And you see just a significantly smaller European population in Canada. All right, what about the Dutch? Well, the Dutch think, all right, the Canadians tried to go north. We are gonna go even. Further north. (laughs) So they're going to reach the Hudson Strait, named for Henry Hudson. And um, they are going to be trying to access again trade. Now, the Dutch were already major trade players in the Southeast Asia region, right? So the Dutch East Indies is Indonesia. So they are going to try and establish their own colony in the New World. And in 1621, they will establish the Dutch West India Company. And they'll establish their own colony in New Amsterdam, which is what we know today as New York City. So the patroons are going to be our elites. So so these elites will set up estates in New Amsterdam. And they'll also trade for fur. Whereas the French have allied with the Huron, the Dutch will start allying with the Iroquois. And this is just a very rich area. So if the Spanish are partially motivated by gold, right? If you are going to ask any Spanish conquistador, why are you doing this? Why are you going to the new world? Their first answer will be for God. We're doing it for God. We got to spread the gospel. We got to convert the natives. The Dutch would be like for money. We're doing it for money like there's let's not sugarcoat it we we're, we're here for the money because it's not a religious colony in any way this will allow for religious freedom even slaves in new amsterdam will have half freedoms women had a legal identity they could own property so new york is going to start out being more diverse than any of our other regions you had no public worship except for Dutch reformed Protestantism. But Dutch Protestants aren't interested in evangelism. They're not interested in spreading the religion. And instead, their sort of religious zeal is going to be focused into a Protestant work ethic, which encourages individual endeavors by gaining wealth. So at this time, we have this big Dutch-French rivalry, and it will carry over into the new world. So you have this war between the Iroquois and the Huron over beaver pelts. And the Iroquois will eventually be um, victorious. Let me, before we talk about the English, the Dutch did recognize indigenous sovereignty over land and forbade settlement, but will also, you know, trade for that land using deals that are, not fair, right? They'll trade for a few beads, glass beads for lots of land. Um, The Dutch, um, the Netherlands are gonna be a major trading center in the middle ages. And at the end of the 16th century, they will um, have freedom from Spanish rule. We're not gonna get into why the Netherlands was being ruled by the Spanish. It's European nonsense but it's gonna allow them to really develop economically and politically. All right, let's talk about England. England, right? They are our sort of political ancestors here in the United States. So the English have just unified, right? If we're thinking about historical context, England's been a mess. So England just England's first colonies, is Ireland. Then you have the English Civil War, which delays um, the British colonial attempt. So, our first English colony is going to be on the island of Roanoke. They send some colonizers over, say, All right, you guys set up shop here. We're going to head back to England. We'll come back with some more supplies. It's going to be great. But the Spanish Armada, they England's at war with Spain, don't worry about it. The Spanish um, Armada keeps those ships from being able to return to Roanoke. And by the time that they get there, the settlers have completely disappeared. This is one of those urban legends. You'll hear about like, ooh, the the legends of Roanoke. What happened to the people? Did aliens take them? Were they slaughtered by indigenous peoples? What happened? Was it a cult? Did they commit suicide? No, what probably happened was they were starving to death. And so they left the island and just intermixed with the indigenous population. Not nearly as exciting. The English were hoping to spread Protestantism because all of this is done in the context of the Protestant Reformation. So Martin Luther in 1517 says like, "Mm, maybe the Pope's not all that. And this sets off a huge chain of events, which you can learn about if you watch any of my world history lectures. England will become Protestant when King Henry VIII is like, I want a divorce and the Pope is like, no um, I've already given you a divorce. I'm not giving you a second divorce so you can marry your side chick. And King Henry VIII is like, I'm Protestant, which means you're not the boss of me. So I'm divorcing my wife and I'm marrying my side chick. All right, cool. England's Protestant now. There's a little bit more to that. The English reformation is pretty interesting, but they want to liberate the Americas from the tyranny of the Pope, right? The Catholic church is the enemy. It also doesn't help that demographically, England's in a bit of a social crisis, right? America will become a refuge for England's surplus population. We have too many people in England and not enough jobs. At the end of the 17th century, about half of the British population lived at or below the poverty line. In America, these people could become productive citizens, right? This idea that in America you can escape the economic inequalities of england and you know make a name for yourself in england all the land is owned by the nobility right chances that you could ever become a landowner in england slim to none and because of that most legal rights are tied to owning property so that means the vast majority of british people in england won't be able to vote won't be able to participate in the political system but if they go to america they can get property, they can participate, it's gonna be great. So there are gonna be essentially three types of English colonies. The first will be sort of corporate colonies operated by joint stock companies. Jamestown will be an example of this. The next will be royal colonies. These will be under the direct authority and rule of the king's government. Virginia will be an example of this. Finally, you have proprietary colonies. So I'm sorry, if you're wa- watching this, I saw it. there's a typo in my PowerPoint. I'm so, so sorry. Proprietary colonies are under the authorities of individuals granted charters of ownership by the king. So think Maryland, Pennsylvania. If um, William Penn is essentially given this land by the King of England and he can do what he wants. So it's a proprietary colony. Unlike the Spanish and the French, the English will bring the tradition of representative government to their colonies. So that means colonists will, get, will become accustomed to holding elections for representatives who would speak on behalf of property owners and make decisions. When we get to revolutions, we'll talk about what a big difference this makes. It's going to be one of the reasons why the American Revolution will have such a different character than the later Latin American revolutions. So let's think a little bit about geography. What geographic features contributed to the distribution of colonies? Well, The fact that the waterways will be a huge factor in allowing people to navigate will impact the distribution of colonies. We see that the Spanish went across the Atlantic Ocean and settled in first the Caribbean islands, then sailed across the Gulf of Mexico into Mexico and South America. The French will sail across to the Gulf of St. Lawrence and then navigate the St. Lawrence River, the Great Lakes, the Mississippi River, to and establish their colonies along the Mississippi River, right? The um, English and the Dutch will set primarily along coastlines, the east coast of America, the Hudson Bay area, the islands of Newfoundland and, um, you know, Long Island, think New York. So these waterways make a huge impact. The fact that There are regions that are sort of uninhabitable. Think the arid Southwest will keep people from expanding. The cold temperature of the Canadian North will keep people from expanding. So as you think about American colonization by these different European powers, geography plays a huge role. All right, that's it for us. So let you, I want you to take a moment to think back Take a breath. I know I've been talking for a long time. Can you explain how and why various European colonies developed and expanded between 1607 and 1754? What were the motivations for the settlement of North America? What forms did it take? How did European countries colonize these places? What were some of their similarities and differences? See if you actually learned the information, process it yourself. I suggest writing out a response or did the information go through one ear and out the other? If you have any questions, please don't hesitate to ask. Once again, I re- really appreciate it if you left a rating or a review, if you're listening to the podcast or watching it on YouTube. It really helps. I'm just trying to make my material accessible for more students. Thank you for listening. Have a great day.